Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 220 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And we have just one FBS game left on the schedule, the College Football Playoff National Championship between Alabama and Georgia in a rematch of the SEC title game, which, as we all remember, Alabama won pretty handily. There's also, this weekend, the FCS title game, which we'll cover here tonight as well. And we'll also get into what happened in the college football playoff semifinal games. Lots to cover on today's episode, Tony. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the two best teams from the top conference in the nation, a conference I was joking with uh, somebody just earlier today, could be the ninth the ninth division in the NFL, if you will. But uh, I'm sure Georgia and its fans are hoping for much better fortunes than what we saw just a few weeks ago in the SEC title game. We'll get to this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. Bet Online has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football continues its march through the college ball season and the pro football playoffs, Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, the NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and your home to bet on the College Football Playoff National Championship. Bet online where the game starts. And now we'll open today's show with a couple of reviews of the college football playoff semifinals. The first one in the afternoon, Alabama topped Cincinnati 27-6. Game was actually relatively tight for three quarters despite that score until the tide pulled away late with 10 points in the final stanza. Although really in, in this game, an 11-point lead felt pretty insurmountable the way that Cincinnati was playing offensively. I mean, they barely topped 200 total yards. I believe they had 76 in the first half, which was uh, the lowest in the eight years of the college football playoff for any team in a half of football. Um, They did have a shot at an early 7-0 lead, though, but Alec Pierce couldn't make a touchdown grab on a ball that it was thrown above his head, but it's a catch that, based on what he does as a receiver, who he is, you expect him to make that play nine times out of ten. Had just two catches overall for 17 yards in the game. And unfortunately, Bearcats never got that close to the end zone again because Desmond Ritter really struggled in this game. 17 for 32, 144 yards, sacked six times. Just wasn't processing the action well enough or quickly enough. He was confused when Alabama ran stunts and twists at him. Didn't handle pressure very well. Struggled with his accuracy. And if you've been listening to us, we've talked about his downfield accuracy to the sidelines where he needs work. But he was also struggling in the short and intermediate field to hit his receivers. He was staring down his targets, led to several batted passes at the line, a couple by 
by Darian Mathis, who does continue to play excellent all-around football. Also added a couple tackles for loss and a sack as well. In the running game, though, Jerome Ford played pretty well. Love how low he runs, creates leverage and power. He has since declared for the draft and about an hour ago accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl. So we'll get to see him in Mobile. And then when Alabama had the ball, I mean, Evan Neal against MyJ Sanders, as expected, Neal kind of manhandled Sanders in the run game. But I'd say overall, Sanders played pretty well. Didn't have any sacks, which kind of is the story of his season. No sacks, but a lot of pressure when Alabama actually did throw the ball, which obviously they game plan to kind of take away uh, Cincinnati's secondary and not allow them to make plays. They didn't throw downfield at all, especially without John Mechie on offense. Uh, Cincinnati held Jamison Williams without a long touchdown, kept them mostly underneath, but none of that really mattered because Brian Robinson ran for over 200 yards. Powerful running all day. I was also impressed by Darian Beavers, ended up with 10 tackles, two for loss and one sack. It's really everywhere on the field. And I, I think that his play, along with Sanders and the Bearcats secondary, is what kept Cincinnati in this game, or at least you know gave them a fighting chance if really their offense could have mustered anything. Well, I mean, you know, it was the same old story with uh, Desmond Ritter. Uh, but in this case, he was playing an NFL-type defense. Uh, they did have one other chance to score. That was uh, when they kicked the uh, second field goal and Ritter missed a, an open receiver in the end zone, or at least a receiver that he could have given a better chance to catch the ball. His passes are all over the place. And again, I, I just, whether it's this game or whether, whether it's watching him on film, I, I just don't see a first-round quarterback the way many are projecting him. I like his physical skills. I like his arm. I even like the way he sees the field. He protects the football, but his accuracy is just so far off sometimes. And that is often a difficult thing to change. He never used the tight ends, I think, between Josh Weil and Leonard Taylor, who is really an underrated player at the position. I believe they had one uh, reception combined. You talked about Jerome Ford. I was talking to one of the coaches there, and they said part of the problem was Desmond Ritter has an option where he, he can hand the ball off to Jerome Ford or he pulls it out of Jerome Ford's gut and then he throws it. And oftentimes when they were down in the goal line, Jerome Ford had a clear lane to run, but Ritter was taking the ball out and throwing it. And uh, I mean, it was Ritter just did not react well. A big pressure situation against a pressure defense. Uh, the the uh, passes were all over the place. Darian Beavers is going to go to the senior bowl. He is a terrific, forceful linebacker. Have to see how he does in coverage. My Jay Sanders, like him as a pass rusher, but he is stick thin. I mean, he has got a pencil thin build, and I think he's going to struggle uh, at the next level. You, you know, we, we've heard of how the, uh, the weigh-ins have been canceled at the Shrine game and the Senior Bowl, and they're just going to measure these guys when they get there. One of the reasons that they have the weigh-ins is you get to see the guy's body types. And I would have liked to see my Jay Sanders body type. Maybe he didn't want people to see it because he looks stick thin, which I think is going to push him down draft boards. Real good pass rusher. Don't know that he's going to uh, uh, really be much more than that, or at least he's got to physically mature. You mentioned uh, Brian Robinson, who had an outstanding game. Brian Robinson is a solid next-level ball carrier. I think Jerome Ford's going to go much earlier. Jerome Ford right now is my number three back on the running back board. Jamison Williams is just a dynamic playmaker, really has taken over uh, since that late-season uh, uh, injury to John Mechie, which he suffered in, in the title game. You know, Fidarian Mathis has been a real good player the past three years. I think with Mathis is, is he a 
playmaker? Is he uh, someone that can get a lot of penetration up the field or make plays behind the line of scrimmage? Or is he a gap occupier at the next level? Regardless, he's going to play in the NFL. The decisions, uh, you know, when it comes down to whether he's a playmaker or just a gap occupier will determine how early he's drafted. Now, moving on to the nightcap, score appears similar to the afternoon game, 34-11 in favor of Georgia. But this one was over way earlier than the Alabama-Cincinnati game. It was 27-3 at halftime. And, I mean, this was just a true boat racing. Michigan from, you know, the middle of the first quarter on, seems like they never stood a chance. Uh, couldn't do anything against an SEC defense. Uh, this game was one up front, really, by the Georgia front seven. Also the offensive line, but, I mean, that front seven, completely dominant. N'Kobe Dean all over the field early, seven tackles overall, two for loss, one sack, forced a fumble. He was impressive in coverage as well. Nolan Smith and Quay Walker, also solid at the linebacker position. Devontae Wyatt was actually a little bit quiet. Uh, Michigan center Andrew Vistardis, as expected, kind of held up better against Wyatt. Their size pretty similarly, have similar skill sets. Uh, but Jordan Davis, just too big and too strong for Vistardis. Uh, you know, bull rushed him five, seven yards back in the pocket several times in this one. Darian Kendrick had two interceptions, which was a good bounce back for him because he got beat early down the sideline uh, for a big pass. Showed off some nice ball skills, though. On Michigan side of things, Aiden Hutchinson, you know, we talk about him being a game wrecker and a guy who, you know, shows up every week. You know, he he showed up. He had his moments, but definitely did not wreck this game or anywhere near it. Um, you know, in his defense, he was facing consistent double teams. But, you know, really, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, I, Jamari Sawyer, Justin Schaefer, and that Georgia offensive line played a really, really great game. Kept Stepson Bennett pretty clean. Uh, James Cook was, you know, as explosive as we expected coming in. And he's going to be a really nice weapon at the NFL level, especially as a receiver. And, you know, speaking of receiving from running backs, I was actually pretty happy to see Hassan Haskins catch a couple balls. One of them he made a nice adjustment to. I uh, really couldn't get established on the ground due to the score and, and just the Georgia defense dominating up front. But Haskins, I thought, looked pretty good as a receiver. So if that's something that he can continue in Mobile, it's really going to only help his draft stock because that is one of the questions surrounding his next level game. Well, obviously, the Georgia defense performed against Michigan the way they had hoped to perform against Alabama in the SEC title game. And we'll get into what Georgia defense are going to see, you know, on Monday night. I thought that the game plan, as well as the blocking, had a lot to do with Aiden Hutchinson's limited effectiveness. Because a lot of times they were running away from him. They'd let him penetrate. And then Saylor would seal him from the action. And then the play would go the other way. I just thought it was a great offensive game plan uh, by uh, Georgia to protect the quarterback, to give the quarterback time. Uh, to, to really do a good job with that running game. They've got some decent offensive linemen, nothing great, uh, but the game plan was outstanding. Uh, Christopher Hinton had his moments for Michigan. You know, listen, I, I thought Michigan would have played better, but the Georgia team that we saw was the one that we expected to see in the SEC title game, uh, which never really showed up. And now we will get to the rematch of that SEC title game in just a few minutes here. But first... We want to cover Saturday's FCS matchup between North Dakota State and Montana State battling for the FCS championship here. And this game does feature several NFL prospects. Uh, hopefully, we get to see Christian Watson, the wide receiver from NDSU. Hopefully, he can play in this one because 39 catches, 740 yards, seven touchdowns this season. But he has missed the three playoff games so far with a hamstring injury. No word yet 
on his status a couple of days before the game. Probably just going to come down to a game time decision here. Uh, he's hopeful to play last I saw. So hopefully he does get on the field because Watson has great size. He's got big playability. If we don't see him Saturday, we're going to see him in Vegas for Shrine Week. Uh, his teammate, Josh Babbitts at tight end, also a downfield threat, 10 catches, 206 yards, and three touchdowns this year. He's going to be at the NFL PA Bowl. Uh, obviously, the stats you know, don't really pop on these guys, but the Bison's offense is pretty run heavy, so it kind of keeps the passing numbers muted. Uh, the lone senior bowl invite in this game, Montana State linebacker Troy Anderson started his career playing both running back and linebacker. Then the next year, he moved to quarterback. Then he moved back to linebacker. Now he's a full-time linebacker. He's the Big Sky Defensive Player of the Year this year. He's got solid size. He's somewhere between a lot of those safety size linebackers that we like to talk about on the show. And, you know, the Zayvon Collins and Darian Beavers throwback types of the world. Uh, Tony, break down this trio for us and a couple of the other players to watch in this matchup. Yeah, North Dakota State is sort of like the Alabama of Division One AA, if you will. They're always there winning championships or battling for championships. Uh, and the situation will be no different this Saturday. You know, Christian Watson, hope he gets to play. Big, tall receiver. I'm semi-surprised he didn't get a senior bowl invite. He makes some incredible plays downfield, long arms, big hands, excellent length. He's not super fast, but he's sneaky fast. Came into the season graded by some scouts as a fourth rounder, graded by other scouts as a priority free agent. I've had him consistently in day three. Right now I have him as a mid fourth rounder. You mentioned Troy Anderson. He's the guy who could eventually be the first player selected from this game. I have him right now as a uh, fourth rounder. He has got incredible measurables, 6'4", 235 pounds, runs in the low four sixes, high four fives, smart guy, really uh, sort of like a, a Chad Muma, who we talked about a couple of times from Wyoming, kind of a punch in the mouth type, uh, type of guy, very good in the box, very good sideline to sideline, forceful blitzer when they send him up field. As you mentioned, he will be at the Senior Bowl, sort of like Darian Beavers, who we talked about in reviewing the uh, semifinal game in the sense that if Troy Anderson goes to the Senior Bowl and he shows he can make plays moving in reverse, pedaling in those one-on-one coverage drills against tight ends, he's going to be a day-two pick. Otherwise, he's going to be an early day-three pick. Cordell Volson, the big tackle from uh, North Dakota State, is a guy who's moving up draft boards. Six, six and a half, 315 pounds, has had a real fine year at right tackle, may have to move into guard at the next level. He'll be at the Shrine game. You mentioned Babbage. The ironic thing is Babbage was actually graded much lower than his teammate Noah Grindoff uh, coming into the season. But Babbage is much more the complete tight end. Grindoff is a big blocking, short area pass catcher. Uh, but Babbage, as you mentioned, I mean, he, he plays fast. He's not going to time real well, but he gets down the seam and he's a good pass catcher. Also keep an eye on Braden Thomas, the North Dakota State pass rusher, transfer from Minnesota State, another guy with outstanding uh, computer numbers, 6'3", 260, 265 pounds, runs and plays in the uh, mid four sevens, was a guy who could not be stopped at Minnesota State, transferred to North Dakota State, finally has seemed to get his feet underneath him this year. Don't know if he's going to be drafted, but someone who will be a situational pass rusher at the next level. Now, moving on to the FBS championship game, the college football playoff national title. And I mean, as we've kind of discussed, if it feels like we've already been here, we have. Uh, Tony and I previewed the matchups between Alabama and Georgia a few weeks ago on our conference championship show. 
But now we get to go a little more in depth here because we don't have eight other games to talk about. Um, so, I mean, starting with the first matchup that I really want to see, it's going to be Alabama left tackle Evan Neal against Georgia edge rusher Trayvon Walker, who joined that sack party last week against Michigan with one of his own. And I mean, really like Neal does in all matchups. He has a serious size advantage on Walker here. But Walker also is not my Jay Sanders. He has legitimate defensive end size, probably has about 50 pounds on my Jay Sanders. Now that means he's still, you know, it's 50 pounds to go to get to Evan Neal, but you, know, you don't find 325 pound defensive ends in college football. I find Arian Mathis is close, but that's kind of another story here. Um, you know, I'd still give Neal the advantage, um, you know, especially since Walker was actually pretty quiet in their SEC title game matchup. But Walker does have good length and athletic ability to go along with his size. So I'm really curious to see what he's going to do a week after my Jay Sanders kind of held his own as a pass rusher a couple times against Evan Neal. Yeah, obviously we would have liked to see Adam Anderson against Evan Neal, but as we've spoken about before, Adam Anderson has got his own issues off the field, which he's dealing with. Trayvon Walker has just been shooting up draft boards. I mean, he's getting better week in and week out. He's a good pass rusher who can also play the run. He's got growth potential. He's got decent size. And he's probably going to be one of the toughest battles that Evan Neal faces this year. Evan Neal is going to be an early first round pick. When I say early, going to be a top eight pick. Uh, A guy who has made the seamless transition from right tackle to left tackle. There are some people in the league who believe that Evan Neal may have to kick into guard. I believe it when I see that he can't play left tackle. I don't think this is an Alex Leatherwood type of situation where Leatherwood was so bad at tackle, they had to move him into guard. Uh, but again, you know, this is a big game with two players that whose draft stock is on fire right now. I have uh, Trayvon Walker just on the outside looking in around one. I expect him to enter the draft. I absolutely think he could end up as a first round choice. Now staying on Alabama's offense against Georgia's defense, what can Jamison Williams do against the Georgia secondary that is not as strong as Cincinnati's, both in terms of top end prospects and in terms of depth? Darren Kendrick played well against Michigan, but the Wolverines do not have a player anywhere near Jamison Williams on their offense. Although, I mean, the way Williams was used against Cincinnati also wasn't his usual role. But again, I mean, that was you know very game plan specific. Bama kind of turned Bryce Young into a glorified game manager in that game, which you know, he did quite well, I, I might add. Uh, you know, he's not just good at making plays downfield. He was in full control of that game, even if they didn't need him to do a ton. Whatever they asked him to do, he was able to do. But Bryce Young, not draft eligible, so we won't go too deep into him. Um, Williams, though, played kind of more of that possession role uh, that John Mechie plays at times, played it well, uh, showed that he can do that. I mean, if anything, that game is a positive for his draft stock, even though the numbers weren't there, it showed that he can do more than just run down the field and catch long touchdown passes. So I actually liked what I saw out of Jamison Williams there. I also expect the Tide to be a bit more aggressive in this game. In the first matchup with Georgia, Williams had seven catches, 184 yards and two touchdowns. Now, yes, that was with John Mechie. That's the game Mechie got hurt in. Um, You know, certainly Mechie's there to draw some defensive attention. So, Tony, I'm pretty curious. Do you think some of that extra attention on Williams with Mechie out, is it going to have a negative effect on him, or is it a situation where he rises to the occasion here? I don't think it's going to matter because Bryce Young does so many things so well. So, you know, I, I think the bigger issue is which Darian Kendrick are we going to get? Because Kendrick at the top of his game is a shutdown corner, as he showed against uh, Michigan, and he can play 
I, I mean, he can play with the best of them, but he doesn't always do that. It was the same situation with him at, uh, at Clemson. I mean, I expected bigger things after a sophomore season, never really got it. The other kid to watch in that secondary who's going to be focused on uh, Williams is Lewis Seen, the safety. Underclassman safety. I expect him to enter the draft after this game. I have him as a day two selection. He's got excellent range. He has a tremendous closing burst. He's a fierce hitter. He's going to have to show a lot of discipline. You know, he can't be charging up the field. He's got to make sure that he keeps uh, Williams, uh, you know, in his sights. And I expect Williams to enter the draft. Uh, going to be a, a first round selection as well. Uh, but I think this is a big game. You know, talk about Williams, who's draft stock. Another guy is uh, soaring. Going to be a huge test for Darian Kendrick and Lewis Seen, who plans on entering the draft. Now, a week after tearing up Cincinnati on the ground, what do Brian Robinson and the Alabama run game have in store for an encore? Like I said earlier, really don't expect the same game plan as last week. You know, in contrast to Cincinnati, you don't want to attack Georgia's front seven when you can target their secondary. But maybe Brian Robinson can build off last week's game a little bit where, you know, as Tony said, and, and I agree, he was extremely impressive running downhill. Um, just had 16 carries for 55 yards in the SEC championship game. I mean, Bryce Young threw for over 400 yards. They didn't really need Brian Robinson to, you know, get the defense tired and, you know, add yards and, and things like that. But, I mean, they're going to need him a little bit more in this game. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to dominate quite the way they did last time. Uh, Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt on the inside, Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, and Nolan Smith at linebacker. I mean, players like that, always going to pose a challenge. Also, Trayvon Walker on the edge. I mean, he's good against the run, too. Um, so, you know, we'll see if the Alabama offensive line, specifically their interior offensive line, along with Robinson and the tight ends, Cameron Latu and Jaleel Billingsley, we'll see if they're up for this challenge against the Georgia front seven. If they are, like they were a few weeks ago, could really be another long game for Georgia. You know, again, the Kobe Dean, a guy whose draft stock is just taken off. He is an explosive sideline to sideline guy. Not the biggest linebacker in the world, but someone who sells out on the blitz and shows the ability to force the action up the field. Is he able to penetrate through that interior offensive line of the tide? And is he able to, you know, show well in coverage when Jaleel Billingsley is on the field, when the ball is thrown to him, because Billingsley's got a size advantage, or at least he's got a height advantage. Nolan Smith has had a real good year. Quay Walker is just an explosive guy. I, I mean, this, like you said, the front seven, is really, I, I think, a challenge of Bryce Young. I think they'll be able to stop uh, Robinson, who, as we mentioned, just ran roughshod uh, last week over Cincinnati. Uh, and it all starts up front with Jordan Davis and Devontae White. I mean, Jordan Davis came into the season, graded as a late second-round pick by scouts. I right now have him as a first-rounder. He's not just a guy who, say, like for Darian Mathis, who we talked about, is a gap occupier. He is just a terrific athlete. Uh, special teams, gets outside the uh, tackle box, makes plays in pursuit. We talked about guys who maybe stayed a year too early and ended up hurting their draft stock. I think a lot of people were surprised, not only when Devontae Wyatt, but Jordan Davis decided to go back uh, for another year. And this is similar when we saw that trio from Clemson, all three guys, uh, Cleveland Farrell, uh, the guy that the, the Dolphins drafted, the kid that the Giants drafted, when they all went back for another year at Clemson, they went back, they won the national championship, and they improved their draft stock. I can tell you right now, 
We don't know if Jordan Davis is going to win a national championship, but he definitely has improved his draft stock from where it was a year ago. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, you look at the Clemson guys, I mean, Farrell and then, you know, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence. I mean, these guys all top 20 picks, you know, Farrell was the shocking top five pick, which certainly in hindsight doesn't look so great, but you know, Jordan Davis. Yeah. He's, he was a second rounder uh, and, you know, he was a good player. No one thought he was just this dominant of a player. I mean, he just, it's very rare that you see a nose tackle completely control games on defense. And, and that's what Jordan Davis does. You can't run at him. And you can't really run away from him because as Tony said, I mean, you know, he's 340, 350 pounds, but the way he chases plays down to the outside, I mean, it's like he's 280 pounds. Uh, You just don't see, you know, that kind of athletic ability in a a man that big that often. Um, And it's really just been on display this season. He's taken a huge step forward and, you know, rightfully so. He's going to be probably picked in that kind of Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence type of range in the middle of the first round. Well, what happens with those young guys that are so big, oftentimes that one extra year of physical maturity, because you remember, I mean, he is a true uh, fourth-year senior. So that one extra year of physical maturity really goes a long way, and it has for Jordan Davis. Flipping sides of the ball, the Bulldogs' offensive line really dominated against Michigan, can have some tougher sledding against Alabama with Fidarian Mathis and DJ Dale anchoring the defensive line, the duo that combined for one and a half sacks in the previous matchup between these two teams. Jamari Sawyer at left tackle, guy we've talked a lot about lately. He should see a lot of Mathis. Justin Schaefer at left guard, probably going to get a matchup pretty often with Dale. I'd say it's two pretty even matchups too when you look at these guys. I mean, all four, over 300 pounds, not something you get that often, pretty much only something you're going to see in the SEC. And with the top-level teams, in the SEC. So this is four big guys going at it, and it should be fun on the inside. Yeah, I also think that with Saylor, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles the blitz when they send Will Anderson, the true sophomore, who's going to be an early pick in 2023, and on the occasions that they send Christian Harris. Now, Saylor, for the most part, is considered a guard at the next level. We'll see what happens in the offseason if he's able to change some minds and, and see if he can play left tackle. But it starts, really, on Monday night, because if he's able to, you mentioned for Darian Mathis, I think that's a good matchup for him. But if he's able to handle the speed and the edge-rushing skills of Will Anderson and Christian Harris on occasion, uh, I think that will start people thinking, yeah, you know what, this guy can play left tackle in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, Will Anderson is the guy we've talked about a lot, you know, not quite draft eligible yet, but, you know, over 30 tackles for loss this year. He's just in the backfield all the time. So if Jamari Sawyer can keep him out, if he can, you know, show that he can stay in front of Will Anderson, which really no one's been able to do this season, uh, you know, maybe his teammate, Evan Neal, does it in practice sometimes. But really, other than that, um, you know, no one's been able to stop Will Anderson. I don't necessarily expect Sawyer to be able to do it, but, you know, if he can, that's definitely a kind of feather in his cap in terms of, possibly being able to play tackle at the next level. It'll be, it'll be something that people take notice of, and then they'll have to continue it at the senior bowl. Now the other matchup to watch when Georgia has the ball is in the running game, Zamir white and James cook thunder and lightning type of combo. And a lot of the responsibility for stopping them is going to fall on a guy. Tony mentioned a few minutes ago, Christian Harris at linebacker. In addition to Fidarian Mathis and DJ Dale on the defensive line, Jordan battle, on the back end, and neither of these backs in the SEC title game averaged more than four yards per carry. Cook did catch four passes, though. They were short passes. He didn't make any explosive plays. 
Um, but this is where Harris comes in because Cook is so explosive, probably more so than Christian Harris. So really, Georgia, if they want to succeed on offense, they need to find ways to scheme the ball into Cook's hands as a receiver, get him outside the tackles, get him in space, get him in the open field, because Alabama does not have a matchup for him. Uh, if Georgia is able to do that, I'm curious to see how Harris is able to handle him in coverage, because really, if Cook does get loose for another long touchdown or some other big plays like he did against Michigan, I mean, those are game-changing types of plays, and really, Georgia is going to need those because I'm not sure they can sustain enough long offensive drives against Alabama to stay in this game without big plays. Yeah, and the other guy to keep an eye on from the Alabama defensive perspective will be Jordan Battle, the junior uh, safety, who I'm told very heavily leaning towards entering the draft. Sometimes you don't know what these Alabama guys, you hear they're leaning and at the last minute they, uh, they decide to return. But he is a, you know, another sort of linebacker type of safety who will come up the field, punch you in the mouth. Uh, I think that's, uh, he will be brought up, you know, to help stop Zamir White and James Cook. Uh, and, you know, I, I think what Alabama's game plan is, is, well, let Stetson Bennett beat us. Let Stetson Bennett throw the ball. And, you know, we're going to stack the box. We're going to try and stop James Cook and Zamir White. And, you know, we're just going to hope that Stetson Bennett played his, plays as poorly Monday night as he did in the SEC title game. All right, Tony, the time has come. We're getting a rematch of this SEC title game between Alabama and Georgia. And really, you know, you, you can't expect the same level of domination with Alabama, as you saw from the SEC title game, but it's prediction time. I'm going to say that Alabama wins this football game. I'm going to go with 34-24. I think it's a little closer than last time, but I do think they're going to be able to get over on Georgia here. Um, Tony, I know you like Georgia to win the last matchup. Obviously, that didn't quite go the way you expected. Do you have confidence that it'll go that way this time around? I do, but, you know, as I say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or fool me once, shame on Georgia. I'm going to go with Georgia for a couple of reasons. I mean, the SEC game seemed to be the exception rather than the rule for Georgia during the 2021 season. I mean, they were just beaten badly on both sides of the ball, which they aren't. I think they got their mojo back last week. Now you say Alabama's been in this situation before. You know, Nick Saban experienced this situation. Well, you know what? Georgia's been in this situation before but they unfortunately always lose or find a way to lose to, uh, to Alabama. I, I think when you look at that defensive front seven on Georgia, they're just going to be, uh, they, they got something to prove. They got embarrassed on national television. This is a bigger, uh, bigger stage for them. And I, I think they're all going to want to go out uh, as winners. And again, go back to what I said with the Clemson trio who went back for their final year, improved their draft stock and won a national championship. I think that's what Jordan Davis and Devontae White are looking at right now. And that's it for the 220th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. Bowl season and the college football playoffs are now a wrap, or will be a wrap after Monday. So, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E. 
AV on YouTube.